You're listening to I'dRatherBeWriting.com. My name is Tom Johnson, and today, November 29, 2018, I'm reading a post called Be Both a Generalist and Specialist Through Your Technical Acuity. This is a post or essay that appears in my Simplifying Complexity series, and it's one that I've iterated on a couple of times, so hopefully it's getting a little bit better each time. But this is the first time that I have um, recorded it as a podcast. All right, a high-level high level summary. Looking at trends in job advertisements tells us that subject matter familiarity is frequently in demand in technical writing roles. To write about complex topics, you usually need some subject matter familiarity with the topic. Without this familiarity, you can't author content, you can only edit and publish content, and work beside others who have that knowledge. Developing specialized knowledge is probably out of reach given the tech writer's diversity of projects and wide-ranging responsibilities. At most, technical writers can develop technical acuity and try to learn what they need to know for each documentation scenario and also collaborate with engineers to fill in the gaps. All right, let's jump into the post. Bloggers and trends. As a blogger, I am conscious of my web analytics, whether metrics from clicks on newsletter articles or visits to pages, since I'm keen to know what topics resonate with readers. Each year, I look deeply at my analytics and try to gauge what topics I should focus on, partly to drive more traffic and partly out of simple curiosity to know what readers click on most. Without a doubt, one topic that gets the most clicks year in and year out is trends. Exactly why the topic of trends is so popular and whether bloggers have any special insight about trends remains a bit of a mystery to me. I've never considered myself an expert on trends, though after I posted my 2018 trends post, I literally had three separate groups invite me to speak on the topic. And I've noticed that in general, people frequently associate bloggers with the topic of trends, as if trends were intertwined with the blogging brand or something. I've never really dug into trends with any depth because they seem so speculative and elusive. But for once, if only to satisfy this appetite that people seem to have for bloggers to write about trends, I'd like to dig into the topic of trends with some in-depth research, analysis, and hard thinking. So sit back, hold on to your hat, and get ready for a ride deep into trends territory. Why trends intrigue us. In a rapidly changing field like technology, almost everything is in constant flux. Sometimes you wake up and so much seems to have changed. Consider how previously dominant companies simply vanished. Blackberry, Blockbuster, Borders Books, Toys R Us, Kodak, Radio Shack, Tower Records, Circuit City, Encyclopedia Britannica, and others. We woke up one day, checked the internet, and probably thought, what happened? Why did they fizzle? 
Some say these companies fizzled because they only focused on what helped them make them successful and they became blind to further innovation after achieving success. And this is generally called the innovator's dilemma. Basically, you have to keep disrupting your innovations, even if it poses risks. Now, I've only listed companies, not job roles, but the same, couldn't it be said of, or couldn't the same be said of technical writing professions? Look at the constant evolution of techcom ideas. At the turn of the century, we moved from PDF to web formats, then gradually to DITA and the semantic web. Then wikis became popular, and later YouTube. Later, content strategy surfaced, and almost overnight, many techcom titles changed. Augmented reality peers its head in once in a while, but not seriously. Lately, chatbots have taken center stage. Who isn't building a chatbot? Entire conferences have been organized around chatbots. Many feel this is the future of documentation, though some disagree. Now, Doxa's code tools seems to be getting the most attention as TechPubs follows software engineering workflows. Ideas and technologies come and go. How do you know whether a trend today will be the norm tomorrow or whether the trend will just fizzle out? Should you realign your docs into consumable chunks for chatbots or switch from Dita to Hugo? Or just hold back and wait and see, hoping that you aren't waiting too long and aren't being left behind? We pay attention to trends, partly out of curiosity, but also to stay relevant. We don't want to wake up one day, find a pink slip on our desk, and ask, what happened? But understanding whether trends will become the norm requires us to investigate the evidence for the trend. What data supports a trend? When Blockbuster looked at the emergence of streaming online video, or when Kodak looked at digital photo formats, did they dismiss these trends as fads? How can you find evidence for what the future will hold? How do you move past wild and fun speculation into meaningful data that supports the direction you should actually take? We need a starting point for this discussion on trends. So let's start with some recent assertions in, a, in an episode from the Cherry Leaf podcast called The Evolution of the Technical Communicator's Career. In this podcast, Ellis Pratt, the host, discusses an article called Software Technical Writing is Dying, but here's what writers can do to stay in the software game, published by Jim Gray in 2015. Jim Gray argues that, quote, companies are leaning into good user interface design and stepping away from online help systems and printed PDF documentation, end quote. Gray explains that he had lunch with a business owner who explained this transition, saying that most startups these days are hiring UX designers, not technical writers. Gray writes, technical writing is dying off. It's all about clean engaging UX now. I have talked to more than 100 startup and small software companies as I've built my business. Almost none of them have technical writers and almost all of them have UX designers. Sensing the irrelevance of technical writing, Gray jumped off the documentation ship and into software testing instead. 
And as a software tester, he still leverages many of the skills he learned as a technical communicator. Undeniably, user experience design has matured as a discipline. Companies like Apple have really cemented the idea that users are willing to pay for well-designed products that don't rely on a lot of documentation. But does it mean that companies are eliminating tech writers from their organizations? Does Apple have, say, 10 times as many UX designers as technical writers? To evaluate whether tech writing jobs are truly dying off, let's dive into some data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, also known as BLS. According to the latest STC salary database, which is based on BLS data, tech writing jobs have actually grown by about 3,620 jobs in four years. And if you look at this chart here, you'll see the number of jobs in 2012 for tech writers was 46,160. And in 2016, the last year of the survey, the number of jobs was 49,000. 708, 780. So basically in 2016, there were about 50,000 tech writing jobs in the United States. The report notes that technical writing is, quote, the only occupation among professional writing disciplines, which has seen employment growth in each year since 2011, with an average annual employment increase of 1.9%. But despite this growth, tech writing jobs aren't necessarily keeping pace with software development jobs. The BLS says that the job growth for software developers from 2016 to 2026 is projected at 24%, but for tech writers, the job growth is projected at just 11%. Both, both of these growth rates are higher than the national average which is just 7%. To put these numbers into perspective, suppose that in 2016, 10 technical writers support 1,000 engineers. This means that in 2026, 11 technical writers will support about 1,240 engineers. And if the rate stays the same for the next decade, in 2036, 12 technical writers will support about 1,538 engineers. So while technical writing jobs might not be diminishing, they seem to be shrinking proportionally. Now the data doesn't provide any more granularity to address other questions, such as whether jobs are growing or shrinking in different specializations, such as API documentation versus UX copywriting. There's also the possibility that technical community communication job titles have diversified and made BLS's scope too narrow. However, the BLS does try to, quote, ensure employees are appropriately slotted into the correct occupation as job titles often vary widely from company to company, end quote. At any rate, as far as reasons for growth within the tech comm profession, the BLS has little to say except this, quote, Employment growth in technical writing jobs will be driven by the continuing expansion of scientific and technical products. 
An increase in web-based product support should also increase demand for technical writers. Job opportunities, especially for applicants with technical skills, are expected to be good. I'll return to this last point, quote, especially for applicants with technical skills, end quote, a bit later. Now, what does Pratt make of Gray's blog post? In the podcast, Pratt looks generally at job trends and decides that, no, technical writing jobs haven't gone away. Pratt's company, Cherry Leaf, is primarily a recruiting agency for technical writers. So the mere fact that he's still in business suggests that companies are still seeking technical writers. But Pratt does make another point. He says that jobs might not be going away, but the role is evolving. Pratt writes, is this true? Has the tech writing, or actually Pratt says, is this true? Has the tech writing job disappeared since 2015? Clearly not, because there are still many technical writers and authors. But I think there is a truth in saying that the role of the technical author is changing and the requirements and the skills that they need are changing as well. And it may be that the job title changes and the way in which the role is perceived, end quote. Most readers tend to agree with Pratt that the tech writer's role is evolving. In a survey I conducted in a previous post, I asked readers to state their level of agreement about whether the tech comm profession is evolving. Of the 65 respondents, about 53% of readers agree and 39% strongly agree for a total of 92% agreement uh, with this statement that the tech comm profession is evolving. I mean, given that change is the only constant, how can anybody actually disagree that the, that the tech comm role is likewise changing and evolving? But the question is exactly how? Is tech comm evolving? Towards what direction? Are we changing in positive ways to align with tomorrow's needs? Are we being left behind? And what kind of data supports these changes? To get a better picture of the evolution of the tech comm role, let's turn to some research based on an analysis of job advertisements. In the evolution of technical communication and analysis of industry job postings, Eva Broomberger and Claire Lauer look at patterns in job advertisements to determine what skills employers are looking for. They say that the genre of job advertisements, advertisements, quote, can serve as a barometer of industry trends when studied over years and even decades, end quote. In other words, if employers aren't seeking the skill, it's probably not an important trend. After analyzing about a thousand job postings in late 2013, Broomberger and Lauer found that the job landscape painted a picture far more diverse than the BLS's simplistic description of the technical writer occupation at the time. The authors noted the incredible variety of roles and deliverables that tech comm professionals are engaged in. Now, part of this diversity is a result of Broomberger and Lauer's broad focus on job uh, on the technical communication job titles and categories. Some of the job titles include social media manager, front end developer, 
web content analyst, UI designer, grant writer, medical writer, and more. So given this wide techcom net they cast, it comes as little surprise that they would find techcom professionals engaged in such a variety of work. But fortunately, they do divide the job postings into five main categories. Uh, content developer or manager, grant or proposal writer, medical writer, social media writer, and technical writer or editor. And although this wide scope is probably appropriate for a techcom program, my interests relate mostly to the technical writing category. So I'll narrow my focus to just this technical writer slash editor category in Bloomberger and Lauer's study. And this category makes up 52% of the total job ads they analyzed. According to Bloomberger and Lauer, the most sought after professional competencies for technical writers slash editors include written communication, 75%, editing, 51%, Project planning slash management, 49%. Visual communication, 49%. Subject matter familiarity, 45%. Working with SMEs, 41%. And style guides slash standards, 40%. Now, commenting on overall trends across the job categories, the researchers observe the need to push content across multiple channels while adhering to brand and the need to build relationships with customers through content. The authors also deliberate about whether to specialize with more subject matter familiarity. They say this emphasis on subject matter familiarity is particularly relevant in technical writer slash editor job categories. Given the broad range of skills, roles, and deliverables within the umbrella of technical communication, the authors argue that remaining a jack-of-all-trades generalist would give you a lot of mobility and versatility within the field, empowering you with capabilities in a lot of different roles and functions, perhaps switching from technical writer to medical writer to social media manager. However, Brumberger and Lauer acknowledge that others see specialized knowledge as being more valuable. The authors reference another study by Craig By. Bear, who interviewed a small handful of experts from STC's advisory council. Bear's goal was to identify the core skill sets that define what it means to be a technical communicator. Bear found that perspectives on specialization versus generalization were mixed among the council members. Some argued that the generalist skill set would, quote, permit technical communicators to be more agile adaptable and flexible in their roles and to add greater value to organizations, end quote. Others said specialization was, quote, inevitable, end quote. Bear found that the most common specializations were related to, quote, information design, knowledge management, and information architecture, end quote, which differs from subject matter familiarity somewhat, Bear argues that the breadth of specializations define the core identity of what it means to be a technical communicator. And he concludes that, quote, successful technical communicators adapt to fit the mold of what is needed, end quote. Aligning with Bear, 
Brumberger and Lauer also find middle ground in the dilemma between being a, a generalist or a specialist. They say, quote, our data suggests that there are several points of overlap in products and competencies, which could allow some degree of movement among job categories or multiple specializations if one maintains a broad skill set and flexible outlook, end quote. In other words, they choose multiple specializations and a broad, flexible skill set as the best approach, especially where these specializations might strategically overlap into multiple roles. And by arguing for multiple specializations where, you know, there are several points of overlap, the multiple specializations shouldn't be interpreted to be roles diverse as project manager and engineer and UX designer then you'd really have the market cornered, but rather combined specializations such as information design and SEO and information architecture, or maybe API documentation and programming languages and docs as code tools, or maybe UX copywriting and content strategy and web analytics, you know, complementary specializations. Other academics have also analyzed job advertisements to infer trends in uh, analysis of the skills called for by technical communication employers and recruitment postings Clinton Lanier analyzed 327 job postings in 2006 he limited the scope to jobs with technical writer in the title and which required just two years of experience or less, which would thus be, be the most suitable for graduating students to apply for. Regarding subject matter familiarity, Lanier found the following, quote, 112 of the postings, or 34%, required or desired the potential writer to have experience writing about the, sub, the specific subject matter that the current job involves. For example, if the candidate was applying for a software documentation job in which they were going to be writing application programming interfaces or APIs or online help, many of the positions required or desired that they have written such types of documents for the related types of subject matter. End quote. In other words, employers have been seeking subject matter familiarity among job applicants in a consistent way at least since 2006. Even for job postings requiring just two years of experience or less, you know, almost entry-level positions, 34% of employers want the candidate to have subject matter familiarity. Lanier explains, quote, This reflects the trend that technical communication is moving away from a jack-of-all-trades model, where technical writing is a very generalized concept, and toward a model that is more specialized and contextually defined. End quote. Now, given that Lanier restricts his data set to jobs requiring two years or less of experience, it's hard to compare the data set with Brumbergers and Lauer's. However, 34% in 2006 and 45% in 2013 suggests a constant emphasis on subject matter familiarity. Deciding to specialize in a particular engineering domain wouldn't be considered a, a new trend, but its consistency for the past 15 years suggests that it's an ongoing requirement. It's not just a fad, but rather a norm that one must adjust to in order to excel in tech comm. 
Now, whether to specialize or not seems to draw mixed reactions and emotions. So far, I've argued for some middle ground. But let's dive deeper to note other factors that might determine whether one becomes a, a specialist or generalist. In a content strategy podcast, IA professional Abby Covert says that junior IA or information architecture positions tend to be more generalist while senior IA positions are more specialized. A junior IA starts out doing generalist UX tasks for about five years and his or her job title might not even include the words information architecture. After the person becomes more senior, he or she might start doing more IA-specific tasks and actually have IA in the job title. Covert explains, quote, and this is from a podcast, So I'm really seeing a misbalance of information architecture as a specialty, being only those that are in mid or senior levels of their career which I think is challenging because it's kind of like, hey kid, I know you really want to be in IA. Wait five to seven years as a generalist and maybe you can be, end quote. The same pattern might apply to tech comm roles. When you're new to the field, you work on a variety of documentation related tasks that define the generalist's breadth of skills. You might work on UI copy, reports, documentation for new features, presentations, analytics, blog posts, edits of existing topics, SEO, docsite design, and more. But as you become more experienced, you might focus exclusively on, say, revamping the doc publishing system, or producing a lengthy e-learning system, or creating API documentation, and so on. You could become even more specialized, such as migrating thousands of pages of DITA uh, or thousands of pages to DITA from unstructured FrameMaker or implementing Swagger UI custom skins or documenting Java programming SDKs. In this sense, one might say there's a time to be a generalist and a time to be a specialist. Both characterizations of the profession are valid. Whether you're a generalist or specialist might be based on the industry as well. With API documentation, specifically, uh, James Neiman, an experienced API tech writer in the Bay Area, says yet that basically you need an engineering background, such as computer science or some previous experience as an engineer, in order to excel. Neiman says tech writers often need to look over a developer's shoulder, watching the developer code or listening to an engineer's brief 15-minute explanation, and then return to their desks to create the documentation. You might need to take code examples in Java and produce equivalent samples in another language, such as C++, all on your own. And if you want, there's a video of Neiman and Andrew Davis, who is a recruiter for API tech writers in the Bay Area, presenting on finding the right API technical writer at an API conference in London. Their presentation format includes a Q&A exchange between the two. And you can listen to Neiman and Davis here. Nemus says, quote, There is no way that a busy engineering team has time to train a person without a computer science degree. That's just the reality of it. Engineers at best can speak to you in some version of English, which may or may not be their own native language. They don't have a lot of time. They expect you to finish their thoughts for them. 
This means that you need to be able to sit next to them and look at how they're coding and then be able to replicate that and extend it and even create examples, end quote. Now, other tech writers in the API doc space push back on the need to develop deep engineering knowledge. It takes a lot of time to accrue engineering knowledge, and that time cost means neglect in other areas. James Rea explains, quote, I speculate that the need for writers to have deep technical knowledge diminishes as tech comm teams grow in size and as other skills become more important than they are for smaller tech comm teams. I'm not claiming that deep technical knowledge is useless. I'm suggesting that, to frame it negatively, neglecting deep technical, technical knowledge has less severe consequences than neglecting content curation, doc toolset, or workflow considerations, end quote. In other words, if you spend excessive amounts of time just learning to code at the expense of tending to other documentation-related tasks, like fixing your style sheets and looking at analytics and improving your navigation, your doc's technical content might improve a bit, but the overall doc experience will go downhill. Now, I like the middle ground approach that Parson, a techcom consultancy, describes. They, they write, quote, the tasks of the technical writer in API documentation projects depend on the writer's programming skills. There are writers who are able to write code samples and sample programs themselves. Programming knowledge is very useful, especially for complex software products. However, it is not mandatory to be a software engineer yourself. If you want to write documentation for software engineers, it is mandatory, however, that you have a solid understanding of software programming, of object-oriented programming languages, and of modern development methods such as Agile. The strengths of technical writers, and thus the real benefit for API documentation projects, lies elsewhere. Technical writers are able to structure information, to write from user and task-oriented perspectives, and to guarantee the use of a consistent terminology throughout the complete product documentation. These assets make technical writers indispensable for API documentation." End quote. In other words, Parsons sees programming skills as helpful but not essential, as the technical writer's main value lies with other details in the user experience. At the same time, you still need a technical grounding to understand the basics of software programming. Company size might also be a factor in deciding whether to be a generalist or specialist. In startups, employees wear more hats and need to traverse more technologies. In these startups, engineers often need to be multifaceted as well. An engineer who knows both front-end, back-end, server, and other technologies is called a full-stack developer. According to CodeUp, quote, a full-stack developer is simply someone who is familiar with all layers in computer software development. These developers aren't experts at everything. They simply have a functional knowledge and ability to take a concept and turn it into a finished product. Such gurus make building software much easier as they understand how everything works from top to bottom and can anticipate problems accordingly. Oftentimes, this class of developers stems from startup environments where a vast knowledge of all facets of web, devel web development is essential for a business's survival. 
When you work for startups, you handle more responsibilities than you would in a larger organization with a well-established tech pubs group. In startups, the generalist, or rather the full-stack technical writer, might not just be responsible for creating the documentation, but also responsible for the doc tool chain and publishing system, for support systems and forums, for e-learning and video creation, for blog posts and marketing content, information architecture and search indexes, and more. Overall, the degree to which generalist skills are needed depends on the size of your company and whether these other functions are covered by other specialists already. Overall, what do we make of this debate about whether to be a specialist or generalist? It seems there's quite a lot of debate on both sides. I surveyed readers to provide agreement or disagreement about whether they think subject matter familiarity is a key requirement employers are looking for. And from about 55 responses, 50% agreed, 25% strongly agreed, 15% were undecided. So I think it's safe to say that employers are looking for tech writers who have all the skills they need, specialized knowledge and writing skills that span across categories and rhetorical situations and more. In other words, employers want, want both someone to be a specialist and a generalist. So far in this discussion about whether to be a specialist or generalist, I've made, I've made it seem like being a generalist is easy. It's the specialized knowledge that's hard to accrue. Presumably, a generalist is synonymous with a less technical person whose strengths lie with language and communication. Why do generalists seem to get less respect? Imagine for a moment that you're a hiring manager. You have two candidates for a tech writing position, a former engineer who has a strong technical background but little writing experience, and an experienced writer who has a veteran track record and extensive portfolio but doesn't have strong tech skills. Who do you hire? When I've been in situations like this, I've seen hiring managers, especially those from engineering backgrounds, choose the one with stronger technical skills and weaker writing skills. As long as the writing isn't red flag poor, hiring managers are willing to overlook more advanced writing skills. In a recent post in the technical writing forum on Reddit, a user commented, quote, I work in engineering documentation, so I would always choose a candidate that has solid domain expertise, even if they only have adequate writing skills. It's easier to train the writing skills than teach the domain expertise, end quote. This sentiment is fairly common, especially among engineers. In Lanier's research, he found that only 17% of job ads explicitly asked for writing skills. More commonly, job ads asked for specialized skills. Ellis Pratt says this might be due to the difficulty of quantifying and measuring writing skills. For example, it's easier to check boxes if a candidate knows X, Y, and Z technologies, but much harder to assess a candidate's higher level writing skills, his or her ability to create, synthesize, integrate, or distill large amounts of complex information. You can ask for writing samples, but samples are hard to evaluate unless you know the product and the context and the history of the documentation. 
So writing skills tend to be neglected in metrics for job ads, even though presumably this is the most salient skill you're hiring for, Ellis says. At any rate, having, quote, writing skills doesn't seem to resonate as much anymore because presumably everyone can write, or at least well enough, write well enough to get the job passably done. What's important, it seems, is technical acumen and subject matter familiarity, not stylistic flair. So you hire the candidate with an engineering background and address any style issues with an editorial pass because it's easier to teach writing than technical skills, some say. In a recent issue of Communication Design Quarterly, Jennifer Mallett and Megan Gerke argue that in the workplace, subject matter expertise with techcom doesn't seem to resonate as much as subject matter expertise in technical skills. Mallet and Gerke say that students graduate from techcom programs with the naive belief that their expertise in techcom will be valued in the workplace in the same way that engineers are valued for their expertise. They assume that in the workplace, exchanges between tech writers and engineers will be made from a position of equality, where the tech writer's input will be valued and acted upon in the same way as engineers' input. They're led to believe that tech writers are different, are, are specialists too, just specialists with language and communication, different types of SMEs, that's all. Unfortunately, they found that subject matter expertise was a status not really available for tech writers who were treated with less respect than other SMEs. Anyone could challenge or dismiss the technical writer's decisions about content, as the product owner or engineer ultimately owned the content and carried the authority. Instead, the technical writers had to argue the rationale behind decisions, often resorting to making arguments by showing similar approaches in competitors' documentation. This power hierarchy, where, quote, communicators are viewed as support or secondary, end quote, is somewhat pervasive in the profession. It seems that very few engineers and product managers are willing to grant the holy status of SME to the technical writer. In my recent blog post, If Writing is No Longer a Marketable Skill, What Is?, I noted, after comparing web metrics, that writing skills don't seem to sell in the job market. So you have to supplement writing skills with some kind of hybridization in your job title to make you seem more valuable. I took a poll on my site to see which hybrid job titles were most common. And out of 277 responses, the top roles were as follows. Technical writer slash editor, 14%. Technical writer slash content strategist, 7%. Technical writer slash information architect, 7%. Technical writer slash project manager, 7%. Technical writer slash information designer, 6%. Technical writer slash content developer, 7%. Technical writer slash API doc specialist, 5%. Technical writer slash doc tools guru, 5%. Technical writer slash Usability Specialist, 4%. Technical Writer slash UX Copywriter, 3%. Technical Writer slash Video Producer, 3%. Technical Writer slash Data Specialist, 3%. Now, of course, these dual roles 
They're, they're self-defined only. In the HR books, one is usually still classified as a technical writer, but that's not how we promote ourselves. Just being a technical writer isn't nearly sexy enough to sell yourself in the technology marketplace. Technical writing has come to be viewed as wordsmithing only. So in the question about whether, it, whether it's better to be a generalist or specialist, it seems the generalist position, as it concerns writing, is much less valued in the workplace. What exactly is driving the emphasis on technical knowledge over writing skills? Well, if you consider an analogy from economics, technical knowledge is becoming more prized because it is becoming a scarce commodity. And it is becoming a scarce commodity because technology is getting more complex and specialized. It's the law of supply and demand at work in the enterprise applied to knowledge. When very few people have knowledge of X, your possession of X knowledge can make you highly val valued, assuming that people actually care about X. Because the technology landscape itself is becoming more complex and specialized, it's driving up the value of technical knowledge. Now, how do we know if it's really the case that technology is becoming more complex? In implications of, of tech stack complexity for executives, the authors explain that one reason the technology landscape has shifted towards greater complexity is due to the transition away from single vendor systems. The authors explain, quote, not too many years ago, technology stacks, the different layers of technology required to implement an application, were simpler and often vendor-specific. A good example is the Microsoft stack. .NET languages for programming, IIS as a web and application server, and the SQL server database. Today, technology stacks have exploded. We have platforms such as Microsoft Nano Server, Deus, Fastly, Apache, Spark, and Kubernetes. New tools pop up every week, including Docker Toolbox, GitRob, Poly, Prometheus, and Sleepy Puppy. Programming languages and new frameworks such as Nancy, Axon, Frege, and Traveling Ruby are introduced. Advanced techniques such as the Data Lake, Gitflow, Flux, and NoPSD mature. The list goes on and on. They depict the change from single vendor stacks to multiple stacks as follows. And there's a graphic here showing a lot of workflow boxes with many different arrows, arrows in 2016 versus just four workflow boxes and a straight line of arrows in 20 or 2005. Now for companies to develop world-class software, finding the IT talent to develop these sophisticated solutions can be a real challenge, the authors explain. The authors say that, quote, not only has the breadth of skills increased, but the depth of skill required, advanced versus basic, has increased also, end quote. And given how quickly technologies are changing, you also need people who aren't just locked into the present, but who will quickly acquire tomorrow's technologies as well. Let's look at another source. In, in Overcomplicated, Technology at the Limits of Comprehension, Samuel Arbusman also expands on the trend away from single solution systems to multiple system solutions. 
Arbusman talks about how we've built systems that very few people understand, and these systems are interacting with other systems, often through APIs, that no one can fully predict. Sometimes when these complex systems have bugs, such as with Toyota's acceleration problem, we end up scrambling through millions of lines of code across many different systems, trying in vain to find the problem. Again, what's the end result of increased what's the end result of this increased complexity? Well, in software development contexts, technical knowledge is increasing in its value, while generalist skills like writing are decreasing in value. In a comical article called How It Feels to Learn JavaScript in 2016, Jose Aguinaga contrasts what it's like to learn JavaScript today versus a number of years ago. His format is an imagined conversation between a newbie and an advanced front-end developer. Aguinaga explains about 30 different confusing JavaScript frameworks and technologies that front-end developers need to sort through when coding. His article illustrates how for the past few decades, at least behind the scenes in the realm of JavaScript development, Technology, technology has been, been getting more and more complex and specialized, more extensive, varied, complicated, and diverse. The engineer who implements the front end of a site has a very different skill set from the one working on the back end. For con contrast, think back to a time when we had webmasters. The idea of a webmaster, a person who handles all aspects of a website, is an especially dated idea. It's like a mechanic who can work on any model of a car. Specialization has permeated all aspects of technology organizations. Today, you're not just a software developer. You're a JavaScript developer for web apps. You're an Oracle database specialist. You're a release management configuration engineer and so on. We have these specialists because, tech, because complexity has increased. An article in the Harvard Business Review noted that we've even moved past specialization into hyper-specialization. The authors explain, quote, Just as people in the early days of industrialization saw single jobs, such as pin makers, transformed into many jobs, Adam Smith observed 18 separate steps in a pin factory, we will now see knowledge worker jobs salesperson, secretary, engineer, atomize into complex networks of people all over the world performing highly specialized tasks. The author notes that with some encyclopedia articles, even different paragraphs within the same article are sometimes written by different specialists. Each specialist written paragraph fits together into a larger article. Now, some might object that technology is actually getting simpler for users, which makes the job of technical writers easier because we write for users who are the recipients of these simpler user interfaces. Now, the level of complexity depends on your audience, but generally, technical writers are pulled towards complex systems rather than simple systems, which don't need our help. You might be writing for internal engineers, engineers in other companies, or other professionals that aren't engineers or end users, but somewhere else along the technology spectrum. And for sure, some user interfaces are getting simpler, thanks UX designers, but the code behind them is also getting more complex. 
The classic example of this shift towards simple front ends and complex back ends is Google's homepage. On the surface, it looks pretty simple. But go to View Source and copy the code on that page and then paste it into Microsoft Word. It is 73 pages long. Explaining available search parameters might be easy, but explaining the SEO algorithm behind the search is surely complex. So the level of difficulty depends on who you're writing for. Consider another example, voice interaction. When I say to my Fire TV, Alexa, show me the latest action movies, this natural language inter... <laughs> All right. <clears throat> yeah, uh, have a device near here. This natural language, okay, when I say, you know, to my Fire TV, A, show me the latest action movies, this natural language interface attempts to simplify the user experience. There's no need to find the right menu to type out my search using the remote controllers, direction pad, and so forth. End users can just use their natural language. But behind the scenes, making this simple language interaction has incredible amount of has an incredible amount of complexity and code. There are multiple systems interacting interacting in harmony with each other or sometimes clashing, which can result in a misinterpreting your utterance and returning something unexpected. Technology is like an iceberg, seemingly simple on the surface for end users, but with massive amounts of code underneath. Now looking at diagrams like those in the previous sections with all those workflow boxes and different technologies interacting with each other strikes a bit of terror inside of me because I realize how challenging it is to stay current in the evolving, deepening technology landscape. So often at work, I find myself presented with some new topic to document or even just edit that I have very little knowledge of. It takes me by surprise, and I realize how endless the technology landscape is and how unaware I am of so many tools and languages, both code to concepts. Granted, Android app development for Fire TV, which is my main focus, is an extensive topic, but more often than not, I feel like I'm playing a constant catch-up game with what I need to know. It doesn't help that the number of engineering teams I support seems to be growing every year. If there's one question that vexes me as a technical writer, it's this. In this era of increasing technological complexity and specialization, is there any room for generalists like me? Do technical writers who are typically only familiar with the subjects we write about do we need to become engineer-like specialists, focusing in on a couple of domains in depth so that we can write, edit, and publish more knowledgeably in these domains? Is specialization the only way to handle complexity? Will I need to become a specialist to survive as a technical writer in the future? I'm not alone in this feeling of drowning in technology. In surveys I've done in the past, keeping up with the latest technology uh, is one of the primary challenges for technical writers. About a decade ago, in 2007, I had a virtual chat with a group of tech writers to find out what their most pressing challenges were. And their most pressing challenges were basically keeping up with technology. Some of their responses said the following. 
For me, it's keeping up with the right technology and fighting to increase productivity without making our jobs horrid. Or, I have trouble keeping up with the rapid pace of innovation in the IT world and the many ways to deliver content. Or, part of the problem about keeping pace with technology is that we often work under tight deadlines. At the end of the day, to learn new tools and technology, it's often on your own time. Or, I agree, and I'm willing to learn about new tools and technology. The question is, where to start? What's the right thing to get into? What do I recommend that the company invest in? Or, another problem with keeping pace with technology is the sheer variety of languages, system, systems, tools, concepts, etc. There's so much to know. One can't know it all. But I think we have to be savvy enough to learn what we need to know at the moment we need it. Despite the need to accrue this more specialized knowledge, I'm still responsible for many different aspects of content, from the publishing tool chain and output, to web analytics, information architecture, metadata, content strategy, and more across so many different categories of technical products. As such, specialization seems nearly impossible. At most, I can hope to possess a degree of technical acuity or aptitude that makes me mildly competent to collaborate with engineers and other specialists on the content. And I have to say that being mildly competent doesn't instill me with a great deal of confidence. How do you keep up with the need for specialized knowledge while also fulfilling your generalist writing role? In a recent post, I polled writers to find out how much time they felt they should devote to learning technology each day to be successful in their role. Of the 40 responses, about 30% said 30 minutes, 30% said one hour, and 15% said two hours. But I also asked how much time they actually devote to learning technology each day. 27% said zero minutes. 30% said 20 minutes, 19% said 30 minutes, and only 13% said one hour. Given how much technical knowledge you need to be functionally able to write documentation in today's landscape, how can you possibly ramp up to the right level of knowledge by spending just 30 minutes or less each day? I felt I would need two hours a day to feel comfortable writing in some of these domains. Even if you find the time, it's not always clear where to start, as one writer noted. There is such diversity in what we document. It can be like moving from one long line to another long line in an amusement park, spending hours of learning just to be able to write one sentence that is read in 30 seconds. In the end, who has two hours a day to carve out time for this learning, either at work or home? It's nearly impossible unless you incorporate it into your job itself. But when I tried that, I found that my productivity plummeted. Despite the difficulty in learning and keeping up with technology, technical knowledge is essential if you want to write documentation for engineers or other specialists. Without a comfortable understanding of the technical knowledge, your ability to write becomes crippled. One approach to ramping up on this complexity might be to reduce your scope a bit and focus in on one to two projects in a more immersive, in-depth way than you could with five or six projects. However, it's not always possible to reduce your scope. In one company, 
when we escalated concerns about needing more resources so that we could immerse and engage more fully with teams, executives responded by explaining that the company couldn't afford to hire armies of tech writers and that we had to, quote, lean in on product teams to produce more of the documentation. In other words, we would act more like editors and publishers while engineers would do more content development. Having engineers write introduces all kinds of problems, which I won't go into here. However much I dislike the model where engineers develop content and technical writers add information usability, this might just be more common in years to come. If the content is so specialized that only engineers can fully articulate it at the required level, then technical writers will play more supporting editorial roles, guiding engineers with content creation and making the information more readable and usable. In this light, technical writers will continue to play more generalist roles and be specialists in doc publishing or language only. At conferences where I've given this presentation, one common response is to straddle being both a generalist and specialist by developing technical acuity. Through your technical acuity, you try to learn what you need to know with each project at the moment you need it. Someone with technical acuity not only possesses a technical mindset, he or she can self-learn the needed technical knowledge to the extent required for the documentation at hand. The problem with trying to learn what you need to know for each project is that it somewhat belittles the idea of specialization. For complex topics, the information builds concept upon concept over many layers. For example, consider a topic such as advanced calculus. Unless you've taken algebra and beginning calculus, you can't just dive into a chapter on advanced calculus and totally understand something like Lagrange multipliers in 30 minutes. You have to work your way up from the earlier chapters and courses climbing up through the layers until you have all the foundational concepts in place to make sense of Lagrange multipliers. The same is true with Android programming, which is based on Java, which uses many common concepts from object-oriented programming. If you're documenting, say, steps on how to incorporate the TV input framework into your app, you can't just learn this in a morning without building the necessary foundation through many weeks or years in the more introductory layers of Java and Android. You can't skip chapters 1 through 50 and absorb everything from chapter 51. At the same time, you're rarely asked to document anything from chapters 1 through 50. Now, if you possess technical acuity, the assumption is that you might take your knowledge and learning in one category and apply it skillfully in another. For example, keeping with our math analogy, suppose you have a deep understanding of anatomy such that you can draw from scratch all 206 bones in the human body and provide their Latin names. Does that help you learn Lagrange multipliers faster? You might be, your mind might be attuned to looking at system inputs and outputs, at algorithms that drive application logic and more. Maybe you have a systematic patience for troubleshooting by comparing working code against broken code in a line-by-line -line fashion, or other troubleshooting insights. Do these skills allow you to jump categories and quickly absorb knowledge of, say, microchip design, or of database querying, or... Would deep knowledge of Android allow you to ramp up more quickly on changing the head gasket on your car 
or an understanding Heidegger? I think in many ways, developing specialized knowledge gives you respect about expertise, which in turn helps you recognize your limits. My brother-in-law develops virtual reality games, but he won't try to fix his own car or any car. He knows enough to recognize that he lacks expertise in that area, so he defers to the experts. Sometimes the more knowledge you accrue, the more you become aware about how truly complex a subject might be, and so you're more apt to defer judgment to those who know. This brings us back to this essential collaboration between writers and engineers. In a comment on my post on technical acuity, Mark Baker explains, quote, This is where the heart of technical communication lies, in the intersection of rhetorical acuity and technical acuity. The great debate in technical communication is whether that intersection can be achieved by a writer and an engineer working together, each bringing half of the equation, or whether it is to be by one person possessing both acuities. I tend to be in the latter camp, end quote. It's an interesting observation that the essence of our profession in tech comm is whether one can create content by having an engineer contribute the tech and a writer contribute the language, or whether one person has to manage both in order to be successful. Certainly, the reality is that this collaboration is done in varying degrees in different situations based on how much skill each party possesses in the other realm. Possessing both acuities is surely the best route, but in my experience, it isn't practical. Learning how to skillfully interact with experts to gather, develop, and articulate their knowledge might be more essential than sometimes it's assumed. Being able to pull information out of engineers' heads, knowing the right questions to ask based on the user experience, understanding how to iterate content, uh, based on ongoing feedback, etc., might trump more one-dimensional technical knowledge. At any rate, this balance between specialized knowledge and generalist knowledge surely remains at the heart of the tech comm profession, and it is an issue I continue to struggle with. That is the end. Thanks for listening. My name is Tom Johnson. You can find more at idratherbewriting.com, and for more essays on simplifying complexity, on idratherbewriting.com, click the complexity button in the top navigation bar. If you have feedback or want to reach out to me, you can write to me at tom at idratherbewriting.com. Thanks.